Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Starving Writers Guild podcast. I'm your host, MC. It's so great to have you back to our much-awaited comics episode. So let's go into the nitty-gritty of what I'm going to be doing this time. Uh, I will be focusing primarily on the major series that I was covering uh, since I believe March was the last time I updated on anything. Uh, when it came to comics, maybe, it's been a long road getting from there to here. <laughs> but uh, it's... It's just been awful. Like, I just let it, I let it grow over time and over time, and it's more and more. So I just finally had to come to the point of I'm not going to have time to do this episode at all if I just let time keep going forward. So I'm doing this right now. Uh, It's not going to be the most structured thing in the world, which irks me immensely. But if I didn't do it, it wouldn't get done. So there's that. So on our positive sections real quick. Uh, there's a lot to discuss with these comics that have uh, that have been going on in the background of our lives here. Uh, some of which I really enjoy. Some of which uh, you'll <laughs> you'll definitely hear the vitriol in my voice. <laughs> so maybe that's a positive there. You get to you get to laugh at me uh, as I'm struggling to deal with this. And I do also want to say I do apologize for the audio quality of last episode. I'm not entirely sure what happened there when I was uh, well whatever passes for me editing uh after it was done i did not hear just how low the volume was so i do apologize for that i'm hoping it doesn't happen around this time if it doesn't if it happens again uh, i'm just gonna see what i can do to fix that i do apologize again so thank you for your patience um if time permits after i finish recording this i'll probably end up recording the next uh, top 10 anime podcast since i do have the whole day free it's our our reading week or fall break essentially at the seminary so uh thank you for that uh let's see other news oh yes i have been neglecting to mention this but uh for those of you who are uh, interested you can also find me every now and then on roundtable discussions on the whole church podcast which has been very fun to be involved with like i've said several times before you know i do come from a christian background uh, I am a Christian myself, and that is something I really want to focus on is unity within the church, especially in a world that has very little of it, uh, especially when Christians are doing everything it seems in their power to destroy unity between our different denominations and ourselves, even within the same churches. So I'd like to bring a little positivity in that direction. It's a lot of fun there. Go check it out. Joshua and TJ are some of the greatest hosts you could ask for. I uh, really love the whole church podcast. And check out Systematic Ecology as well, which they also run. I was uh, able to be on an episode there for uh, uh, discussing D&D. That was a ton of fun. So as far as uh, podcast news goes for comics, so what I'm deciding to do, I decided today, after much deliberation and prayer, just like I can't keep doing this over and over again in this way. So my goal right here is to get all of caught up to basically the almost to today, which comics have dropped, so I have not read those yet, but I'm going to get to that point, get them done, and then when I do record later on, I will be, for, uh, I guess we're just focused primarily on anime for right now, well, and manga discussions as well. I will also bring up, I'll have the manga discussion at the start, then the comics discussion at the start. So, once again, sorry for shifting things up, but that's the way life works, so thank you. How many times can I say thank you for your patience? And you're not getting annoyed. Just like, shut up, (laughs) Christian. (laughs) And just get to the show. You know what? I think I'll follow that advice right there. 
because we're going to start our Marvel Comics discussion because, unfortunately, I'm still way behind on DC, and some of it I haven't been that positive on anyway, so let's focus, as is all the Marvel stuff I had to say was positive. But we're going to start today uh, with The Amazing Spider-Man. So we left off uh, in the midst of the Beyond run, which, oh boy, not only has a lot of time passed, but my feelings have not changed since the initial end of that storyline. I am very upset with the changes they made to Ben, and when we get to Wells' part, I'm very upset with the changes he's made to Peter. But we'll get there when we get there. So let's start with Amazing Spider-Man number 91. I'm fairly certain I did not record anything about this one. If I have, oh well, who cares? So 91, uh, you'll remember, it was uh, Ben had started finding out more about how Beyond was manipulating him, uh, they'd done the same to Dr. Kafka, and, you know, the Daughters of the Dragon were there, uh, working with Spectrum slash Monica Rambeau, uh, as, you know, she had prior history with them during her time with Next Wave, and they were trying to take them out from within, while Ben was, unfortunately, just completely clueless about this whole thing. So it's... I, I'm sorry. I just think about how they handled him. It just makes me angry. <laughs> so, uh, in 91... Uh, what essentially happens is that Ben, tired of everything that's gone on, after he had uh, uh, webbed up Peter, no, wait, no, 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 that was a different part. Uh, he had allowed Mary Jane to almost die, uh, saving Janine instead. And now at this point, though, Peter has come back on his feet, and he started talking to Ben. It's like, look, like, guy, we can do this. Quit focusing on all these negative stuff. You're Spider-Man, I'm Spider-Man, we're going to get it done. So as the two Spider-Men are working together to try and figure out what Beyond Corporation has been doing, uh, they, are in sa uh, they are saved by the Daughters of the Dragon, uh, Colleen and Misty, uh, to arrive just in time to prevent him from falling to their death. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't have the comic in front of me, so I'm going part on memory, part on the wiki, uh, to help establish everything, because it just takes too long to go through all the comics at once, and I don't have that time, and neither do you. At least I suspect not. So in the uh, in ensuing chaos of all this, uh, Ben has a choice whether or not to save Peter or to continue going after everything, and he leaves Peter behind, which is a huge disservice to his character. And it's just awful. But luckily, you know, the Daughters of the Dragon are there too to help him out. However, they are confronted with a mysterious creature Z, which is this giant lizard. Uh, with a little bit of uh, Morbius in there as well, if I remember correctly. And that's the cliffhanger for number, uh, what was it, 91, which brings us now into Amazing Spider-Man 92, where the Daughters of the Dragon, Peter, are left behind to face against a creature Z that are starting to debate. Uh, is this actually Kirk Connors, which I am so glad, out of all the stupid decisions that were made here, this is not actually him. It's a, it's a clone hybrid of him and Morbius's powers through beyond corporation science machinations <laughs> for whatever stupid plots they have planned and so as it's attacking them uh they figure out it's like oh okay it's this basically mindless creature there's nothing we can do to stop it for right now uh, until they end up seeing Morbius there and Morbius is able to help them out and causes the creature to essentially its regeneration explode from like overcharging it or something like that. It's a 
it's real weird, but at least, you know, Warby's got a little bit of his dignity back, back after how he was handled in this because Marvel only knows one story with him. <laughs> uh, sorry, they know two stories. They know uh, Morbius is dealing with his vampiric urges and, and they have Morbius the movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I can't remember if I talked about it on the podcast or not but that movie is so bad the only thing good about it is Matt Smith's performance I mean he is acting his heart out in a movie that is so awful <laughs> so uh, Ben on the other hand leaving them behind is continuing to just demolish the Beyond Corporation uh, buildings he's going inside of until Janine is enabled there uh, to rescue him. Uh, Marcus also appears at this moment, from what I recall, uh, because Marcus has actually been the only person who's actually been on Ben's side this whole time. So I did like, out of all the things that come out of this, their genuine friendship and camaraderie towards each other was really good. And of course, it's destroyed because Marvel writers just can't let happiness be a thing. I'm not even asking for like uh, permanent happiness, you know, because one of Spider-Man's appeals is that, you know, you know, bad things are going to happen. He's going to do the right thing, and it's going to cost him something in his civilian life or his superhero life, you know? And, you know, that's okay. You can have that storytelling, but don't, like, just make him so depressing. And Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself because <laughs> I am directing a lot of that towards uh, the Wells run. So, but the good thing about this chapter, until they overturned it later on, is Janine talking with uh, Ben and letting him know, like, look at yourself. You are Spider-Man. You are so much better than all this. Let's let's do this together. And they, they kiss. It's you know it's a beautiful thing. Like Ben's a little bit unsure about him, you know, of what what he's been doing, but because of her, he is able to overcome all that. And it was a very beautifully written scene. And unfortunately, it gets destroyed later on through all these terrible things. Uh, I'm not going to cover uh, Dot Buh, where uh, Machine Man does show up, so this is a bit of a pseudo-next-wave reunion kind of thing. It's it's whatever. But uh, in 93, uh, we do start off with our Slingers, if you remember. I think I did was able to cover this on the podcast briefly, because it was just a bad issue. And I don't know what they're doing with Hopi, because obviously they can't... They don't want him to be the prowler right now with Uncle Aaron around for miles. Which is just, you know, as much as I like, I, and I do really like Miles being in the same universe as Peter, it causes a lot of problems, you know, with his rogues gallery and Spider, and uh, Peter Spider-Man's rogues gallery. It's just a giant jumbled mess. Well, so anyways, uh, focusing on the issue at hand, uh, Ben and Peter do have some really good moments in here, you know, discussing, I mean, like they have before, it's, it's a bit of a retread. It's like, you know, you are worthy of being Spider-Man. Worthy of all these things. Our memories together are different because, you know, essentially we are two separate people who share memories, but we have diverged at a certain point. So you've got to continue being Ben. I've got to continue being Peter. And, you know, which once again all gets undone. Sorry, I keep harping on that because it just keeps ruining my feelings for what should be a really good moment here between the two of them, which only gets furthered with, you know, our generic villain of of the issue as we knew from the very beginning when she first showed Maxine Danger goes up to Ben she's like oh you, 
you're just you're nobody. You're a clone. I can do whatever I want to you. Blah 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 blah. You know, so so engaging as a villain. Just wonderful writing. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so bad. But uh, despite all that, uh, Peter and Ben continue uh, working together there, um, and just uh, Mary Jane appears as well and helps him and Janine to solve this issue uh, to eventually stop uh, stop Maxine from her machination. But in the process, Ben is hit with this really strange kind of goo that Beyond has created in this, like, I think it's supposed to be a pun on that liquidation of assets thing Janine was trying to pull up earlier in the issue when she was confronted with, you know, the leaders of the corporation. Um, so it seems for a moment that Ben has died. Uh, Peter is then able to, you know, essentially get himself out of the hospital after all this time. He's cleared by the Venus um, Lovers, who was, you know, for a side character, not too bad in this series. I did enjoy uh, her journey with Peter, helping him through the recovery process. But uh, uh, Janine later stumbles upon Ben after all of this, and here's where all this story was building up you know all those people who really wanted ben to be seen as a hero to just in his own right you know separate from spider-man but you know just moving on from his past well uh, screw you says marvel <laughs> amongst other things marvel says screw you too and ben is now in this uh, admittedly i will say the costume is pretty dang cool however he is now in this green and, and black and edgy. He looks like he's from the 90s. Uh, just as edgy 90s anti-hero costumes. You, you can conjure them up without me saying anything. That's that's how yeah, obvious it is. And it, it's at this moment he just has this, this meltdown. And just leaves and says, ah, I'm deficient, ah, I'm so bad, I've learned absolutely nothing from all the times I've been told that I was worthy and worth something, and <laughs> all, these, all these wonderful things people told me, and now I am, I have been as gone, and the only thing left is a chasm. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. This, this is what this, oh, how many issues was it, like 20-something issues was leading up to, was, uh, well, uh, Nick Spencer left, so we're all panicking, and we're gonna have a bunch of author writers working together on the story, which would work so well in the past. You know, with you know, brand new day. You know, we always had a consistent Peter Parker there and a consistent supporting cast, and everyone was really working along together instead of you know everyone telling their own stories and continuity issues being all over the place. No, 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 no. We're gonna do it right this time. Uh, they failed miserably. Uh, the Beyond storyline was one of the worst. I have ever read in the history of Marvel, and once again, I would I would describe myself as a Ben Riley fan, not you know an old Uber fan or something like that. But at the end of the day, I appreciate who he is. I appreciate what has been done with him, despite you know the baggage of the Clone Saga and all these other things. Ben has proven himself over and over again, like he was in the pages of Iron Man, by the way, which. Ruin that storyline as well, the way that Marvel tried to handle this. But I'll get to that when we get to there, I think, if I remember to do that at all. But, uh, I, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Um, 
So, but with Ben, it's just they've just continually screwed him over over the years. Over, <laughs> I keep using the word over. How many words am I going to ban from my vocabulary by the time I end this? Just We've seen it. Just the way Slot handled him in the clone conspiracy was one of the most awful betrayals I've ever had, I've ever seen. This storyline itself, I think that's what I was talking about. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, it's, it's just one of the worst. I mean, you know, we've got stuff like, um, uh, was it Chapter 1, where they tried to reboot Spider-Man, and the other times when they tried to think... Mary Jane was killed in this plane crash, and Peter was all alone and miserable, you know, because they, that was the first time they tried to get rid of the wedding, and then, of course, one more day, that whole storyline is one of the worst, worst stories ever told in fiction. I will die to my grave with, <laughs> with bitterness because of that story, and how much I hate it, hate what they're doing to the character I care most about in the comics world. But we're focusing on Ben. So he didn't really have too much of a chance to shine as much as they did promote him during his time during the Clone Saga. So it, is, it was nice as an idea to have him have this um, shift to be the main character of for Spider-Man while Peter was out of commission. But the execution failed. The side characters they brought up for the most part failed uh, in his supporting cast like um, Janine Janine had some growth I did enjoy her uh, like I said I did enjoy Marcus and Ben working together but all the other side characters they tried to build up Maxine is one of the most one dimensional villains I've ever seen in my life I can't stand her the new villains they tried to create are I can't even remember their names like oh something star or something like that and all these other things that, and then they get bring in the daughters of the dragon which are fine for supporting cast members but once again this is a spider-man book i come you know spider-man and it is true they did appear they appeared before this but well actually misty appeared first as a cop in marvel team up one and uh i think colleen wing showed up in iron fist first with claremont but then uh in marvel team up uh 62 is when is their first appearance as the Daughters of the Dragon? Because I think the issue before that is Spider-Man and Iron Fist uh, fighting together, uh, like the Steel Serpent or something like that. And then they appear in the next issue. So they do have history, is what I'm trying to say uh, with all that. But not enough for them to have all this focus. And Captain Marvel, or excuse me, Spectrum, did first appear in a Spider-Man annual. I'm sure I've talked about that before. But she's never really been... Uh, connected with him out, that much outside of they were in the Mighty Avengers together uh, however brief that run was which it was a really good run but unfortunately the way Marvel works it had to end but um, it just didn't work and the worst part about this is Ben because you have characters hyping him up it's like dude you can do this and I believe that idea but the follow through was awful and so disrespectful to people who wanted to see him do well so all that to say the beyond storyline is like a perfect idea uh, a, a perfect example of a great idea with terrible execution and i don't i, I gotta move past it it's just it's just bad 
and then of course there's going to be a crossover later on for Spider-Man where uh, he uh, Chasm and Madeline Pryor the Goblin Queen because they're both clones are going to work together against Spider-Man and the X-Men <laughs> which I, I'm not going to lie I am kind of looking forward to that idea but I don't have faith that it's going to be done well alright so we'll move on from the last issue of that run of Spider-Man to the first issue of the Zeb Wells uh, John Romita Jr. version of Spider-Man Amazing Spider-Man number one volume six and boy do we start off so well so so great after all that, you know, I forgot to mention that Peter and Mary Jane had reconciled some more, and it looked like they would continue being on a relationship, you know, which Spencer had set up, and they were following up on, and they had a whole issue with Mary Jane and the Black Cat, where they said, you know, we're pals, and Mary Jane, you're destined for Peter, and I had feelings for him, but you know what? I think you're a better match, you know, as Felicia would say, but I, once again, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, issue one, we start with a flashback this just giant crater and Peter his costume is barely there how did he survive the blast we don't know 10 issues in to this run because they don't reveal information it's so weird it's a mystery box idea yeah, other than for the most part lost mystery boxes did pay off but then people kept doing mystery boxes and they kept going and going and then they realized oh no everything we're building up to is not going to be as good as what we first thought it would be so we're just going to keep meandering on. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. They had the mystery box idea of, okay, what could cause... Uh, once again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll finish my thought. What could cause Peter's friends to all abandon him and not like him anymore as Spider-Man, despite their whole history together? It's like, okay, as an idea, it's not terrible. But your follow-through has got to really impress me. To believe that the Fantastic Four hate him, the Avengers hate him, the X-Men hate him, uh, Aunt May hates him. All these things. Mary Jane and him are no longer together. So, you know, I'll, I'll go into the issue. So that's what starts with the flashback. But then we go <sighs> six months later after this. And you know, Peter's talking to Aunt May, and she's very angry with him because he's just uh, avoiding her and not showing up when he promises to. And, you know, uh, she's uh, even paid for his bills. Which, once again, is not a bad idea spending that much time in a hospital for as serious a condition as he was in and I'm guessing he probably doesn't have insurance is not a bad plot thread to follow up on because the American healthcare system sucks and I, I'm saying that I don't have a solution for it so uh, deal with that as is and not to say that you know overseas you know their healthcare works much better but at the end of the day the issue is there so no wonder Peter has such a debt accumulated from all that time there I like that idea. Follow through. Once again, he is awful. So, anyways, he's with Aunt May. She says, you know, he's just being flaky. She doesn't like what he's doing. And, you know, it hurts. She's being lied to. Uh, so, anyways, that's when we get to the medical issues as well. There's a debt collector there who's trying to get the money from Peter. But, obviously, he has no money. He has no job anymore, even though... You know, he was working on his on his degree for the 17th time because we can't allow him to grow. You know, as much as I make fun of Dan Slott's run, he at least made Peter grow into a businessman. Did he move a little too fast for my taste? Yes. Uh, even though Otto was the one behind some of those achievements. Still, it was a natural progression. Peter is smart. 
Peter is capable of inventing all these things. Now, becoming a businessman himself, CEO, probably not. But having someone backing him, like you know, uh, like a Tony Stark or a Reed Richards, so where they handle the business side and you know he does the gadget stuff, I'd be fine with that. But anyways. He should not be this poor and miserable. There should still be patents he made in his time as, you know, the CEO of Parker Industries that are giving him money. But nope, nope, he has no money. You know, whatever. We don't care about Peter Parker. Not in this storyline. But one thing we do care about from previous continuity that I still enjoy is the Randy and Janice wedding is coming on. And the way that Tombstone is handling all that is Tombstone being hyped up, uh, as the you know arc villain of the first round was something I did really enjoy about these chapters. I, <laughs> I sound like a broken record, but once again, the execution of how that was done, not my favorite. But um, we do see we go over to uh, some of the gangs talking together. Uh, Tombstone and Hammerhead are talking uh, with White, White Rabbit and a couple of others about how the Rose, who was resurrected, uh, instead of Vanessa uh, Fisk, like we all thought, by the Kingpin, uh, has come up and you become a rival gang leader because, you know, that's what that's what Richard Fisk is all about these days. Even though the reason he became the Rose in the first place was to oppose his father and blah, 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 blah. Uh, no one cares. Especially not the Marvel writers. So they also bring out Digger, which is a callback to uh, the JMS run where Ramita Jr. was working with him, so it was nice to see him back. He's not the most engaging character in the world, but whatever. But we do move on to Peter and Johnny, uh, the Human Torch, who comes to confront him and says, Oh, you, you, we don't like you anymore, Spider-Man. You, you did a terrible thing. You stole something from us. Even though if Peter had asked him for something, he, Reed would probably say yes, unless it was something completely outrageous. But after all the history they shared together, no, this is the one moment that breaks our friendship. It's, it's just silly. So I will say that there's a nice continuity call here to one of the good things Slot did in his Fantastic Four run was, you know, Human Torch being uh, so overwhelmed with his power that he's too hot to handle. So they, it's a nice callback to that. So I did appreciate that, that synergy there that Marvel desperately needs a lot more. But... You know, it basically ends with, hey, we have a problem, and we still have a problem, so we really haven't established anything <laughs> other than to create the mystery box of why Peter and the Fantastic Four aren't friends, even though they are family, and families, you know, you know, Peter became a member of the Fantastic Four again when Johnny was presumed to be dead because he's family and they love him. Whatever. Bye. So... Uh, Tombstone continues amassing his forces to get things done um, <clears throat> to try and you know take over New York City since uh, as we'll cover in the Devil's Reign portion of this the Kingpin is no longer there he's no longer the mayor he's no longer running things so it's basically a free-for-all for the underworld syndicates to try and claim mastery of the entire city so that is good I do like that the gang war is one of the better parts of these couple of issues However, we then see Peter and Mary Jane together, and oh my gosh. 
you think there's venom in my voice from before all now. But this is one of the dumbest things that has ever happened. Maybe, maybe, maybe they can pull this off later on. I doubt it. And I don't want, I don't want to feel this way. But that's where we are right now. So Peter and Mary Jane, even though when we last left them, were together and Peter was about to propose marriage to her. Even though he shouldn't have had to do that in the first place because they were already married, but you know, whatever. Uh, we find Mary Jane meeting with our new favorite character in the series, Paul, who is her boyfriend. And as she goes inside their apartment, we're there, boyfriend and girlfriend, living together in sin. <laughs> uh, there are two children there that say, Mommy, when she appears. Now, uh, from what I remember, these children do, at least one of them seems to have red hair, so I don't know what they're trying to hint with that. Could it? So it appears in the six-month time gap with, you know, the mystery box that's created here. How could Mary Jane have children? Why would they call her mommy? And who is Paul? He's probably a nice guy, right? He's just going to be good. He's not, he's not evil at all. It's just so, so, so wonderful. Um, I hate this. I hate everything this represents. I want nothing to do with this idea, and yet it's been beaten over our face, as you will notice continually as we go on through the rest of the uh, Spider-Man issues we have. Well, how, oh, we're just breaking up Peter and Mary Jane again for the umpteenth time, despite the fact that they are literally meant for each other, and were married for so long, having one of those stable relationships in comics, but nope, no, 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 can't, can't have that. That's just, that's just awful. I need to stop. Okay, uh, the last part of issue one I do need to talk about is um, Doc Ock uh, planning something, everything that will be brought up at our 900th issue, which is issue six or something like that. So issue two, we start with, as uh, JR would say, with our hero, Norman Osborn there, talking to Peter, who apparently in the six-month time gap Norman Osborn did something for Peter that was good because what one of the things I do like they are keeping continuity his sins have been removed by the sin eater so Norman right now is acting good and I do think it's genuine for the most part and I do like they kept that because it's a huge change and it forces Peter to confront, like, this man murdered one of the loves of my life. He has continually hounded me for years, caused his son to descend into madness as well. I lost him, too, until he was brought back by a brand new day. <laughs> and, but if I were to attack him right now, I am not the rational person here. Even though people would probably say, well, he did deserve it. I love that such a cool idea and I will say the Peter Norman relationship is something I do love that Wells has done with this because it's new it's fresh and it puts him in a moral conundrum that you probably wouldn't have seen without Spencer uh, causing a senator to remove his sins from him but what does Norman want? well he wants Peter to watch over Normie and Stanley 
which he does, which, you know, pretty pretty nice joke because Peter should have a relationship with the both of them. Uh, he is uh, Normie's godfather still. Um, <clears throat> so there's that. Uh, we can also see Tombstone talking with Janice, uh, the Beatle, about the upcoming wedding and all these other things. Uh, they, uh, he also uses um, some pliers to sharpen his teeth again to look more menacing so we'll move on uh, Spider-Man is tracking down White Rabbit uh, with all his ordeal with Tombstone uh, the crime master is there as well and there's this some thug named Kareem who Spider-Man establishes a rapport with uh, through the midst of this that when it first happened I didn't like however we're going to see later on it just kind of is all for naught <laughs> but um, what they do is uh Spider-Man goes to confront Tombstone uh, in the midst of the scheme. However, what Tombstone does is he puts him inside of uh, a truck, I, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. And because of that, because it's in such close quarters, that means that Tombstone has the advantage, even though he is way less stronger than Spider-Man. And Spider-Man is not that you know physically inept right now. And he somehow, somehow takes down Spider-Man. Ooh. I... I I was not the biggest fan of how that occurred. Which brings us to issue three, where uh, we find our new favorite man, Paul. He's talking to Mary Jane, you know, the love of his life. You know, he's always uh, Paul and Mary Jane. It's just one of the classic romances of all time. And he goes and he pays some of Peter's debt because, you know what, he's just such a good guy. You know, uh, gee golly willikers, we just love Paul here. He's certainly not going to turn out to be evil or something. Or maybe just manipulative or something. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'm, what I'm hoping, I don't think this is going to be the case since Mysterio showed up, but there was a, 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 a hypothesis thrown out there that this is uh, Mysterio working uh, with Mary Jane to keep her safe from some kind of threat. Uh, and they're posing as a couple here. I don't think that's true anymore after everything we've seen. I think. We've got two scenarios here. Paul is just really a genuine, nice guy, which would be a good twist. I'll give him that. Because I am expecting Paul to be some scumbag who has something on Mary Jane, or he's a villain who's used some magic or technology or something to force her to be with him and raise these children, which probably not biologically hers, unless there's some form of clone, maybe through something that's happened. Which, you know, the clones have always worked well with Spider-Man. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I need to keep going forward. So, we go over to Spider-Man, and he's been chained up, even though he could literally break out of these, unless they're made out of adamantium or something like that. And even then, he could still rip them out of the ground. But nope, nope, he's been beaten and bruised and bloodied by Tombstone because, you know, you put Spider-Man in the truck and he can't move around like you normally can, even though he's still quicker and faster than you and stronger than you, but, you know, whatever. Uh, and Tombstone breaks off a brilliant plan here. This is some stellar writing. Let me throw that out there so I'm not all negative. And his idea is to get Peter thinking that his men have dressed up like the Roses men and they're going to cause a lot of trouble around town. And if he doesn't stop them, there's going to be a gang war. And Spider-Man was the one who couldn't stop it. 
So when Spider-Man does inevitably get freed and is tricked by Kareem, even though his new best buddy that he saved the life of and, you know, probably owes him something, but nope, 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 he's evil. Spider-Man goes after people thinking that they're the tombs that they're tombstones men, but they're actually the Roses men. And in so doing, Spider-Man has single-handedly won the war in Tombstone's favor. This was a Machiavellian Xanatos Gambit scheme that is worthy of creating Tombstone as Tombstone. Tombstone is an even bigger threat than he already is. So let me shout that out. This was stellar storytelling. Which moves on to uh, bu- 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 number, yep, issue four. Where the black cat shows up to talk to Mary Jane in the middle of the day, which, why would the black cat, or excuse me, or maybe, no, it was night. Um, in front of her pseudo daughter, Romy. <laughs> and, you know, which could bring all sorts of trouble Mary Jane's way, but, you know, Felicia has never been stealthy or anything like that. Why would she ever think of being so up? Whatever. Um, wow. Uh, sorry, part of issue four I had mentioned before uh, with uh, the way Tombstone has handled things, so I do apologize. I got those two mixed up. So she's talking to Mary Jane about everything that's been going on and that, you know, don't worry about anything and, you know, they're friends and that's nice, but... So whatever. And this is the issue where it's revealed that Tombstone has won. Uh, he's tricked Spider-Man into getting his job done for him. Well played. So since I already talked about that, we'll skip over to issue uh, number five. You know, where we have uh, Felicia confronting Peter over everything that's gone on, how he's probably still in bad health after everything that occurred beforehand in the hospital and then what happened six months ago as well. We also find that the debt collector is somehow working for her as like a, a mark or something. It, it's it's weird. But um, essentially it's just her like, look like you're being reckless. No one else loves you right now, but Felicia will always love you and maybe Wells is setting that up as, <laughs> as a potential romantic partnership instead of you know friends like they should be right now, which we'll get to that when we get to issue 900 uh so that's that but we do get a nice moment here in issue five with uh peter going up to tombstone it's like look you played me i admit it however what that means is that people are going to start thinking we're working together so if you play nice what we're going to do is you're not going to cause this much problem and I'm not going to cause as much problems for you. Everyone's going to think we're working together, and you know it's just going to it's going to look nice for the both of us, isn't it? If you know things just work out this way, which Tombstone appreciates in his own way. And then after this, Peter does go have dinner with Aunt May to um, you know help reestablish their ties, you know, because what he did six months ago was just so terrible that it caused friction between them. After all this time, after all the years she raised him and loved them and knew his secret identity until she didn't because she, because she was killed and then Mephisto and not... Anyways, uh, on to issue number six, which is actually issue number 900. Now, issue number 900, you would think such a milestone issue would have a great story with it. You'd be wrong. <laughs> 
Because what happens? Oh, it's Peter Parker's birthday. And what happens? Well, his friends are all doing what they should be doing and working together for a surprise party for him. It's a wonderful affair. He's tricked into coming where he's uh, going to be there for uh, <clears throat> his uh, birthday party. But, wow. Oh, and how, how did Peter end up here, you ask? Well, J. Jonah Jameson, who is now Spider-Man's biggest supporter, which is a fun change due to, uh, and a twist to their relationship, has now tricked Peter into coming to the party because he owed him, he says he owes him $50,000 in, uh, in fees that he never, uh, in, uh, in cash that he never paid him before just because of mismanagement of funds and all that. And he's, well, nope, actually it's just because there's a surprise party, which means Peter has no money yet again. You know, what a, what a thrilling way to hallmark our 900th issue with J. Jonah Jameson being so cruel to Peter while thinking that's a good idea because that's exactly what Jameson would do. You know, be so intentionally cruel to Peter Parker. But, you know, whatever. Uh, also there, we do see um, uh, Betty and Liz Allen, uh, Flash, uh, well, by the way, uh, Flash Thompson is back to life after the events of King in Black and this is the first time he's interacted with Peter Parker since he died in, was it, issue 800? Uh, thereabouts? You know, an actual milestone issue? <laughs> comparatively and what do they say to each other well, uh, uh, much or nothing they say hey that's it uh, also Mockingbird is there because you know she and Peter went on a couple of dates and slots run and you know, whatever even though she should be with Hawkeye like you know was great when they were in the West Coast Avengers and all that but you know we can't have marriages in Marvel be stable if they're not if they're not reading Sue's Sue Storm, and I wouldn't exactly call what Cyclops has with Jean Grey right now stable, because <laughs> you also have Emma and Wolverine in the mix, so so great. But anyways, um, yeah. Oh, Aunt May's there as well. Uh, Black Cat and as Felicia Hardy is there, which raises some questions because I'm fairly certain her identity is known to the world and why she's why she. <laughs> This schlubs, this rando, who <laughs> used to be a major businessman, this party, who knows? Like, uh, anyway, uh, I didn't stay earlier is that uh, the living brain is involved in all of this, and he's been capturing the members of the Sinister Six, and he was told, he was asked a question, who is Spider-Man? <sighs> so what it's done is it's uh, captured everyone at Peter Parker's birthday party, uh, because they all have ties to Spider-Man, you know, just from reading the news and other things that it would have on file. Um, so there's that. And they try and tell him, well, Spider-Man's kind of like this, you know. Uh, he's a hero. He's a good person. He's always, oh, sorry, <laughs> hit the mic. Always a willing to help someone else. It's like, ah, that's great. But uh, as a result of uh, finding all the Sinister, sinister Six, the living brain has created a Sinister Six super adaptoid, which on its own is an idea pretty cool. Once again, execution quite limited and awful. Awful, he says. <laughs> like, so the living brain explains, you know, this is the purpose I was given, you know, all those years ago, and, uh, I'm just trying to find the answer to the question. So Spider-Man's friends trying to run, uh, 
blah, running interference for him because Flash and Felicia both know who he is. I think Mockingbird knows who he is now. Can't remember that. So Spider-Man ends up teaming up with the Sinister Six until inevitably they fall into infighting. That's that. And Peter spends some time with the living brain, and it wishes him a happy birthday. Because they figured out he was Peter Parker, but the question it was asking was, who is Spider-Man? So it was, it was asking a question like, well, metaphorically, who is Spider-Man? So it knew the person, but it wanted to know what made that person who he was. So I did appreciate that. That was a good idea for that driving question to be answered in such a way. However, at the end, Felicia and Peter share a kiss. You know, which is what you do with your platonic friends. You know, and that's just so great. You share a, a kiss that lovers give all the time. I'm going to have to lose my mind talking about this. We haven't even gotten to the Avengers yet. <laughs> so bad. Uh-uh. Uh, in issue number seven, and I'm going to go ahead, and seven and eight, basically, Vulture is angry because Starling, his granddaughter, who uh, was established in Miles Morales, has somehow found out that he was a villain, even though that should be publicly available information. And he's convinced that Spider-Man gave it away, so he goes after him, and somehow this geriatric man is able to take down Spider-Man and almost kill him multiple times until Peter rightly says to him, like, look, uh, your daughter, your granddaughter knows that you're a killer, and what are you trying to do with that information? You try to kill me, so what you doing there, bud? <laughs> so eventually he's able to take down the vulture, and that's that's issue seven. And eight. Which then brings us to issue number nine, which is Spider-Man being at the Hellfire Gala. Now, it was such a cool idea when they did it the first year. I wanted, I was curious to see what they would do the second time around because the first one ended with the Scarlet Witch seemingly, uh, well, with the Scarlet Witch being murdered, and then eventually her being brought back to life and considered to be a mutant once more. I think was the conclusion. If they're still doing that whole, they were never Magneto's children <sighs> because of the MCU, which once again love the MCU, hate how it's affecting the comics all the time. Yeah, so that's that. But this Hellfire Gala, uh, we do have some a lovely time with Spider-Man making a complete fool of himself around everyone. And there's some awkwardness because of what happened six months ago. <laughs> so friction there. He, uh, Mr. Sinister makes some very terrible remarks to him. But also invited to the gala because of the work she's done promoting Krokoan um, health uh, excuse me, uh, drugs that they have made, that they've established in X-Men, that they are giving to other countries to help reverse uh, things like cancer and uh, stuff like that, uh, is Mary Jane Watson. However, in a, I believe it was a free comic book day issue, <laughs> I have to go into detail describing this. I hate it. Moira McTaggart, who in a retcon, in a very good retcon, has been revealed as a mutant, who has lived multiple lives over. This is her tenth life, and she's trying to find a way for mutants to survive and win. Great idea, Jonathan Hickman. Tremendously great writer. He left. 
Unfortunately, I I don't remember the exact reason why. Not a fan. Uh, not as big of a fan. I'm saying there, there are good things involved in the series. It's gone on since he left. But not nearly as great as when he was writing. So, what did they do with Moira? Well, what they did uh, through the ex... You know, all this madness is they made her evil. So, so evil. She wants to destroy mutants once and for all, even though that was one of the reasons she was about to be killed by Mystique and Destiny through other timelines and all that other stuff. So she's trying to find a way to get rid of mutant powers. Um, using uh, One of them was through the use of one of Forge's old weapons, which was a nice continuity callback. To when he act, when he uh, caused Storm to lose her mutant powers way back when they were an item. But anyways, so she is now evil and working for their enemies and Orcus, uh, I think, uh, was it Orcus? I I can't remember. Um, or no, she's independent for the most part. And so she takes Mary Jane Watson, implants her mind in MJ, and then uses her as like this. A tool for her to get inside of Krakoa for the gala, which is a good plan for a villain. Still hate that it's Moira McTaggart, you know, whatever. But in the process of the gala, she is able to tip off Cypher, uh, who mutant, whose mutant ability is to read any language that includes body language. Uh, so he heard the SOS message that she was uh, Mary Jane was subtly putting as Moira was talking to Proteus was part of the five who are able to bring mutants back to life through the resurrection protocols. Cypher then alerted Spider-Man, and Wolverine came along with them. That's where the gala part ended off with. So now we're in issue nine. Here we go. So they're trying to track down Mary Jane. Uh, Great Crow as um, one of the mutants who was a part of the Hellions in the recent run, or is it the Marauders? It was one of the two. Can't remember off the top of my head. But he's tracking them down. Moira doesn't know. So uh, they actually are able to use Gateway uh, to help them uh, <clears throat> figure out what's going on. And the very cruel thing, uh, Logan reveals that the Stepford Cuckoos are keeping track of Mary Jane, but they didn't tell Spider-Man for whatever reason other than to be cruel. It's kind of awful. <laughs> but uh, they go off uh, using... Uh, some EMP devices to stop Moira's control of Mary Jane. They're able to reunite, and <clears throat> it's at this point that as they're fighting her, <sighs> she gets away, and Peter and Mary Jane are talking together. After all this is done, Logan and the other X-Men have left, and it's like, you know, whatever happened to us six months ago? one of the dumbest lines ever Mary Jane starts talking about responsibility and she says I thought you out of all people would understand or whatever else she says and it's so dumb and it's so cringy it's like you're trying to make me hate this character I know what you're trying to do writers but you can't just get rid of the good feelings I have toward her because of what's come before and I know what a good character she is simply because you want to derail her it is awful. And once again, we are told, told that something bad happened. We are not shown anything. 
and it is so grating. I hate what this has become. Why did they think he was the best man for the job? His beyond issues were not the best. Uh, if anything, what was it McKay? He did a really good job, and I know Zdarsky has said he doesn't want to write Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man at least, ever since his run on Spectacular because of you know the way fans can be. I don't blame him for that, but he'd be so much better in this right now. This is awful. And it really grinds my gears. So forget about that. We're moving on to issue 10 of Spider-Man, which, out of all the issues so far, is my favorite. Because I will give this to Wells. He's handed, as writers are often done, when an event is going on, an impossible task. And that impossible task is we need you to tie in the main book to what's going on during the AXE event. We'll go into a little more detail later on when we discuss Avengers and X-Men. But you've also got to make it to the point where it doesn't affect the main book too much. I know I would hate being told to do that. So the fact that he's able to do this and do it well is a testament to his ability to write well. So I don't know why we're getting it here and not in the preceding nine issues, but I don't know. One out of ten ain't bad, I guess, for what passes as writing for Spider-Man these days. So anyways, uh, through the process of the AXE event, uh, the Avengers, X-Men, and the Eternals uh, awaken this uh, celestial known as the progenitor. And it, seeing humanity and the deviants and the Eternals and mutants and all this, you know, not getting along, says, you know what, I'm going to judge everyone. You have 24 hours, you can be a thumbs up or a thumbs down. <laughs> and Captain America is judged unworthy because he represents America and America is bad, you know. <sighs> right around board, people. Uh, another author tract. Excellent. Uh, but no, but Dr. Doom, since Dr. Doom says that I will never, ever forgive Reed Richards, he gets a thumbs up because he's being true to himself. Which, don't get me wrong, as far as insane troll logic goes, it's pretty good, especially for Doom. But, I don't know, I just, I don't like the inconsistency. So, right now, Peter is about to be judged. So, it starts off with him talking to Iron Man um, about what's going on. And Tony confirms, yes, this is an actual thing. And he asks why. And Peter says, oh, no reason. You know, just seeing a dead person right next to me, which is an apparition uh, in the appearance of Gwen Stacy. But she's not saying anything. So what does Peter do with this day? Well, he actually talks with Randy as he's continuing to get ready for his wedding. He says, oh, these things happen all the time. I'm sure the superheroes will get things done. Which, to be fair, from a Marvel civilian standpoint, not a bad idea. <laughs> because chances are they're going to solve the problem and life's going to go on. So let's get things done. So he's preparing for his wedding, getting fitted for outfits and all that. Uh, Peter then goes, Whew. sorry, what a day. Uh, from there, to talk to Aunt May, they actually, you know, mend some ties some more. I think it was issue five, but they started doing that again. So it is nice to see them. And one of the best parts of this issue, we do see, you know, the part of the progenitor that's judging her is taking the form of Uncle Ben, but only she sees it. And it's a very lovely moment that's uh, told in, like, only a panel. So that's very great writing and... Art, Ugh. 
not the best this issue, but we'll move on from that. Um, so they do reconcile a bit there. Uh, Peter then goes to see Jonah. <laughs> and one of the genuinely funny parts of this, Jonah is like, hey there, buddy. Uh, I'm sorry for being a bad boss all the time. <laughs> I should be better to you. And you know, we're such pals, aren't we? <laughs> and he does the same talking to Robbie. Um, and one of the sadder parts of this, which is more due to Marvel editorial than Wells's fault, so I, I'm not blaming him for this, is Peter tries to go and see if you know, Ben is around to so try and reconcile with him after everything that happened. But he doesn't appear because he's shaping up for the, was it Dark Web series or something like that? So... Uh, it is a rather poignant moment for a moment, but what is even better than that is Peter talking with Miles. Now, in the AXE event series, Miles was judged worthy by the progenitor already. So, uh, we do see Peter and Miles working together there, and Peter tells him, like, look, I am super proud of you. I love to see where you're at right now. It's just great working together with you, and I wanted you to know that. And that's a very well-said statement well-said moment between Peter and Miles as mentor and mentee. Uh, excellent writing. So, once again, I, I always, I know, especially uh, through this, I've been overly negative on the series as a whole. But I do want to shout out the things that are really great, because if I'm just negative all the time, well, that's no fun. You've got to call out the good and call out the bad. And this right here is good writing. You also see uh, Peter with Kamala Khan there. Uh, it's one thing I've got to mention from 7 and 8, that she started working with Oscorp um, uh, as like an intern or something like that. And you know, I talked for a bit. It's real nice because I do enjoy his friendship with her as well. It's like, you know, the older hero figure and the younger hero learning things on the ropes. Similar to Miles, but in a different manner. Um, but he, then he starts talking with Norman Osborn. Now, if there's anyone who should be judged unworthy, it's Norman Osborn. But, because of what's happened before, his sins being erased, this presents an interesting moral conundrum, once again, of how is he to be judged, because that man, for all intents and purposes, does not exist right now. So, uh, he and Peter talk for a bit, and, you know, for as much as they can, they do sort of reconcile a bit for this, and Peter kind of, um, <clears throat> just, just has this moment of just having this this moment what are the words I'm looking for here where he and Norman can talk as equals for a moment so we go back Peter is worried like am I going to be judged unworthy and then a progenitor through Gwen talks to him says look <clears throat> um, you you know excuse me you lost someone six months ago wow, wow. And it's heavily implied to be Mary Jane and it's heavily implied that he did something terrible to resurrect her. I don't know if that's exactly what they're saying, but that's the implication I got. Which may provide a reason for why in story they think it's a good idea for Mary Jane to be mad at him. So that's that. But the progenitor judges him worthy. And not only that, he does something he's done for no one else that I believe in this event. And he allows Gwen temporarily to talk to Peter... And they say how much they've missed each other. But then she fades away. 
And that's it for Peter. Now, Norman, on the other hand, is also being greeted by Gwen. Uh, progenitor in the form of Gwen. And he's having a panic attack. And that's how the issue ends. So, for as we've caught up to this run of Amazing Spider-Man, that is stellar storytelling. I am so happy to see that. Because it does give me hope this can get better. <laughs> Not a lot, but it does give me hope. So that's that. That's Amazing Spider-Man right now. So I would say overall, if I had to grade this run, it's probably a C- minus or a D plus. But I'm holding out for a hero, and I'm hoping this man can make it even better. So that's that. We'll move on from Spider-Man. Oh, oh uh, we should also talk about Miles real quick. I have hated these last couple of issues. Outside of the last issue was okay. Of uh, Saladin Ahmed's run. He just, they went through this whole alternate universe where somehow, um, not Shift, um, Celine? Was that the other clone? Something like that. He somehow gained control of Manhattan, blah, blah, blah. And it was in the future and... Uh, Miles' sister Billy was grown up and Genki was the leader of the resistance and it was it was just awful. So that's that. So Avengers. Uh, we're going to start with 54 and I believe go through issue 60. Now, <laughs> I think we've gone on record. I've gone on record of how much I do not like Jason Aaron's run. I don't know if this is confirmed, but I heard there's a rumor of uh, that he is stepping down as the lead Avengers writer and someone else is taking over. And I don't know if I just want to believe that because I want it to be true or because it actually is true. But please, dear God, get this man away from the Avengers. Whew. So last we left, uh, the Multiversal Masters of Evil were attacking uh, the Avengers across different realities and the Deathlocks who... If I'm going to make an organization devoted to protecting people across multiverses, Deathlock, not going to be the hero I make over and over to be the one trying to protect other people because he's a cyborg with a gun <laughs> going up against you know this alternate killmonger who's in the destroyer armor and all that. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's the guy I want right there to take down killmonger, uh, Deathlock. <laughs> But in a positive to this, uh, because I really don't remember a lot of these, Namor ends up joining the team. Uh, Valkyrie, when Jane Foster had joined, I believe it was the issue before this. But as poorly written as Namor has been in this series, it is good to see him on the team again with everyone. Starbrand and all. <laughs> And they are able, through the midst of this, to stop the multiversal, multiversal Masters of Evil uh, in Avengers Mansion, or excuse me, Mountain, I should say, for the time being, outside of uh, Avengers Prime or whatever it is, that other miniseries. That moves us on to issue 55. So I'm going to speed through these a little faster. Uh, we're our next member of the Avengers. And... I gotta say, I do like this 
is the Nighthawk that came out of the events of Heroes Reborn, as well as the ones that were created, uh, was it issue 16 or something like that for, the, for America? <sighs> With Mephisto and Phil Coulson working together. Because, you know, that's what Phil Coulson would do. Anyways. Um, but Nighthawk was one of the better written characters in that portion of the story. That, that properly paranoid person who thinks that this reality right here is the lie. And the one he came from is the real one. Even though the opposite is true. And that it's his goal to try and make things right. But because of everything that's happening, uh, I believe T'Challa is the one who recruits him to the team. Because of his powers, because of his expertise and his intelligence. And it's a solid choice. So I will praise Aaron for that. This was a really good issue. <clears throat> issue uh, 56. And I do want to say, it is very telling to me and that when I was looking through the wiki earlier for some study, all the Spider-Man issues they have a full written out synopsis not so true of the avengers as of uh, this recording and i don't know if that's a mark on the quality and no one cares <laughs> or if i'm just making something up because uh, some of the other issues here even devil's reign is not completely written out synopsis wise so maybe i'm just making something out of nothing but essentially 56 is uh, Jane confronting uh, her past as, you know, she she was an Avenger while she was Thor. Now she's an Avenger now as Valkyrie. What is she going to do? And then, of course, we have Mephisto uh, in the background with the Council of Red. Uh, working to try and take her down. But she does take out the Thor he sends against her. She takes out the Thor he sent against her. Pronouns. They matter. <laughs> And then we hop through history from 57 and through 59, I think. And we go through World War II where Mephisto is manipulating things from all over the place. And I could not care less about these issues. There's one where Zardos is working with um, the American military. There's another where they go to Japan and they find the Ghost Ronin, which admittedly looks cool, but that's about it. And uh, then they go to uh, the Old West, where, because of his fascination with the Star Brand, there's someone there who's the Star Brand kid fighting off against Mephisto's threat. Over time, all these heroes have worked together to fight against him because, you know, that's that's just an engaging story, which, on its own, could be a good idea. Once again, execution and follow through, Mr. Mark immensely but on a positive I will end off on Avengers number 60 and maybe that's because Aaron isn't the one writing it <laughs> but um, Hawkeye had uh, wanted to at some point in time was going to join a team and this is once again in the midst of the AXA, AXE uh, Judgment Day series um and we see Hawkeye here, um, who, by the way, is also the leader of the Thunderbolts right now under uh, Mayor Luke Cage's initiative. But him realizing, oh, well, the Britannia's out there judging everyone. Like, how do I feel about that? What does what make me 
what makes someone worthy of life? And uh, the progenitor takes on the form of Black Widow because of their immense history with each other. Uh, Clint goes through his life. He stops an assassination um, <clears throat> uh, from Crossfire, trying to kill someone there. Uh, helps a couple of people along the way, just part of his job. He talks with Luke Cage about the meaning of, of life and worthiness. Until you realize it's not actually Luke Cage. I think, if I remember correctly, it's actually the progenitor as well. Taking on his form. And eventually at the end, if I'm remembering correctly, he is judged worthy by the progenitor. Uh, because despite all his doubts, despite all the way he looks at himself, Hawkeye Clint Barton is a hero, and he is fighting to protect people. So another positive to come out of the event, that's it for Avengers. <sighs> Devil's Reign, five and six. I'm not going to go into super detail about these, but we continue on here from the threads that were left before. I'm fairly certain I did. Uh, maybe I talked about five. I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, our underground Avenger team is working against Mayor Fisk and Otto Octavius, who has brought his superior four from across the multiverse to be part of his team there. While they're all fighting over Zebediah Kilgrave and uh, as well as the Purple Children, we see Daredevil and Electra Daredevil wrestling over the right to kill another human being is it possible is that the only way to take fisk out um and it does lead up into a stellar fight where you know the fantastic four and moon knight are able to break out of prison or oh, actually i should say a reed and sue are able to break out of prison uh with moon knight uh who was captured by the thunderbolts a while back uh, also going into uh number six is where the story climaxes and the kingpin has lost. Uh, equivocally, it's that moment right there that this. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. I I, I thought I said equivocally. I think I meant to say unequivocally. <laughs> Who knows? Anyways, so uh, all the heroes band together to fight off Fisk's uh, uh, threats towards them. The thunderbolts are taken down. He's being dismantled, and uh, the purple man's controls while the purple children are saved in the midst of this so uh, free elections are able to be had and luke cage becomes mayor of new york city which is such a positive change here because obviously i mean we can get into politics all day long and people trying to change it from the inside or whether where your anarchy goes away or blah 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 or your communism or democracy what have you what this does is it gives a platform for Luke to do a lot of good in a way that he can't do as a superhero. So I do really enjoy the change they have there because it's going to be a lasting impact on his character. In the same way, you know, Jonas, uh, Jameson's time as mayor still affects him in the present. Um, and the way that he was mayor is going to affect, affect uh, Kingpin because he does get out of this event alive. And even goes on the run, trying to just get away from things. Now that he's married to Typhoid Mary, they just want to start a new life together. So I'm real positive on that. Zdarsky did such a tremendous job with this and his Daredevil run. The man just does stellar writing. 
So Devil's Reign is one of those series, those few event series in recent history I can think of that nailed its landing, did a tremendous job there. And I guess I'll talk about, uh, I think it's Daredevil 1 through 3 at this point in time that have been released. Um, just, just briefly, since it's kind of tied, uh, it does continue there. It, it, it goes, um, Daredevil's about to leave, to go on his mission with Elektra, uh, to just try and, you know, find more about himself and how he, how he gets involved in the world around him. There's this mystery with Goldie, who is seemingly this angel that's been in Matt's life, uh, since the early part of Sadowski's run, if I recall correctly who seems to be trying to guide him in a particular way. You know, is he actually working for God? Um, is he some other entity? Is he a demon? Is he a third party in this that just is putting on this appearance? Kind of hard to tell at this point, but I their interactions with one another, uh, with the fake out with, uh, was it Kristen or Kirsten? I can never remember. McDuffie's death. Um, it's well played there. It's a really, uh, I think it's the first issue where, uh, Spider-Man works with Daredevil and be like, hey, while you're gone, I'm going to take care of Hell's Kitchen too. We're going to reestablish our friendship here after everything that had happened. Just a beautiful moment between the two of them. They show their friendship is still intact even after six months later. <laughs> oh, gosh. If I'm the only one laughing at that joke, I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> So that's, that's about it for uh, for good old Daredevil, good old DD. We're going to move on briefly to parts of the X-Men, because I have not been following everything. Uh, but suffice to say, I did not finish the de deaths and lives of Wolverine, and part of that was uh, Moira becoming a villain and her um, <clears throat> you know, just uh, finding a way uh, to try and get rid of mutant powers. So... That's about that. We also had a Mega Wolverine coming from uh, the future to try and stop this. I think he's from like the sixth or seventh timeline in her life. Thereabouts. So, that's that. So, once again, I'm not a huge fan of the Moira becoming a villain. I don't know if that was Hickman's plan. If, if it was, kind of losing a little respect, but I don't think it was. Um... I just, I don't find her engaging as a villain. Like, she is supposed to be uh, an ally. She's supposed to be a friend. And even with the retcon, you get that a lot better, and her relationship with the X-Men becomes that much more important to her. Um, so anyways, uh, we had another meeting uh, at the gala to decide the next batch of X-Men, and I believe, I can't remember, outside of Firestar, who was added to the team. But she's been a really good addition to the cast. I haven't been following X Force, but I do know that um, Craven, uh, Clone Craven, is about to attack them in the midst because he essentially judged himself worthy <laughs> in the tie-in. Oh my gosh! But um, and then this whole Captain Krakoa thing was found out. Uh, mutant resurrection has been learned. Uh, excuse me, has been learned. Uh, the world at large has learned about mutant resurrection thanks to um, Cyclops and uh, Ben Urich and a bunch of other people there involved in that situation. So that's about it. I'm The X-Men Red has actually been really good. I just don't care about the Arakan characters. They, just, they don't bring anything to me. 
But uh, what has also been good is the AXE uh, Judgment Day series. So briefly, um, I've not been following the Eternals, so I'm losing a lot of information there. So I do apologize for that. Because I just don't care about the Eternals either. It, they're just, they're not for me. But uh, there was an issue there with one of the leaders of the Eternals, you know, who says that mutants are deviants, or they found scientifically that they are. So the deviants end up joining up with the X-Men, the Avengers get involved, they're about to fight, blah, blah, blah. Then the progenitor comes out, and now uh, they've all got to band together against a common threat, which is this progenitor that's going to, you know, cause all of humanity to essentially be judged. And we get some nice moments there with some self-reflection on a lot of the characters. Uh, Captain America is deemed unworthy for whatever reason, because America's bad, didn't you know? <laughs> and, mm. but, after our most latest issue uh, that I have read, I have not read anything this week again, using the resurrection protocols, they bring Captain America back to life, which I believe is the first time a non-mutant has been brought back to life uh, using these protocols, which provides a major shift in the direction of where this series uh, could go from uh, the Avengers in, from the X-Men in, I guess for the Eternals in too, because what we have found out is that when an Eternal dies, a random human dies as well. So I don't know if that's been pre-established before or that's what they found out now in this new series, which if that's true, that's pretty cool. But once again, don't care about the Eternals. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you've been a member of the Avengers, like Cersei or Star Fox, I, I don't care. And even then, I don't care that much. <laughs> but uh, Sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. Um, so we come to this point where that's, been, that's where the issue ends off, is Captain America coming back to life. How does he have a shield in the midst of this? Who cares? That's a cool image. So I am really positive on the Judgment Day event overall. Um, X-Men books could be a lot better. I'm just still kind of in a, why can't Hickman be here? He's just so much better at this. What is he, what is he even doing right now? I don't know if he's working with Marvel or DC on something. Oh well. So we'll go from there to Iron Man, issues 18 through 23. So I won't go super in-depth with these either. Uh, Tony uh, gains immense cosmic power, uh, as well as Korvac, and they're facing off with one another, the, the eternal beings of the galaxy. Uh, see the two of them facing off with each other, and they're judged accordingly. Korvac is then taken away in this uh, alternate universe, I think, where all life has been extinguished, or most life. And Tony comes back with his cosmic powers. Excuse me, the power cosmic, I should say. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> and he starts changing the world. And he does this by increasing, at least in just New York City at the very start, the average intelligence of everyone to be way higher. So this causes a lot of reforms. This causes a lot of logical things to be made. People start inventing new items. It's, it seems at first to be very well done. However... Tony starts relying on that power more and more. His friends, the space buddies, start getting upset. To where they go talk to Doctor Doom, who has a history of getting rid of the power cosmic from people, as he has to the Silver Surfer before. 
as well as the Silver Surfer himself, if I'm recalling correctly, because it's been a while since I've read these issues, to try and take Tony down. And in the process, Tony kills the people there. In a shocking move. Hmm. And I still don't know how I feel about that. Because it's just one of the things, like, in comics, people die all the time. It's just how things go. And if you keep doing that, death is going to stop having a meaning. You know, especially if it's just so easy to bring people back to life. You know, at least with the resurrection protocols for the X-Men, uh, there's a huge queue they have in place for people to come back because there's still millions of Genosian mutants that haven't been brought back to life. Um, they had to speed track other people to the front of the line for that to be done. So there's a cost to doing that. You know, it does take energy and effort for the five to bring people back to life. But this, then it's all coming back after Tony has his meltdown, the power being taken away from him, him confronting Korvac once more. And now it's going uh, on a more uh, spyish kind of way with him trying to uh, track down, uh, what was it again? I can't remember um, off the top of my head. It was, um, oh, oh, uh, Spymaster had found the Mandarin's rings or something like that. I can't remember the last time the Mandarin showed up because, you know, now it's racist for him to be involved in comics, you know, whatever. Even though he hasn't been written like that in years, what have you. Uh, so that's where we left off in Iron Man. So Cantwell is uh, still doing a really good job with Iron Man. I'm very positive overall in the series and the direction he's taking. So that leaves us, I believe, with our last bit of discussion for tonight, which is the Fantastic Four. Oh, or the Fantastic Flop, as I would like to call it. So we went through the, um, the Reckoning War, you know, which is a terrible, terrible war which is one of the most self-indulgent things I've ever read in my life. This is what Slot has been building up to for years, ever since he first announced it in, um, was it She-Hulk, I think? Yeah. This is a travesty. I can't take any of these new characters seriously. The way the Watchers have been handled is so poor. Um, like, I only read it because it's Fantastic Four. And I am so very glad that slot is no longer going to be on the book. There's a new writer coming on who's, um, uh, I think he, what was the way he put it, the way things were, like more Twilight zone is what he wanted to do or something like that, more Star Trek in how uh, he was handling the characters. So I'm really looking forward to that. I really want slot off with this book. I, I don't know what happened to him. He started off so well early on. His She-Hulk run is really great. His Thing run is really great. Um, the Spider-Man and Human Torch series was really great. And there are even parts of his Spider-Man run that I do think are really great Spider-Man stories. But the band needs an editor so bad. It just frustrates me because I want better for him. Because I know he can produce greatness. But as far as the Fantastic Four is concerned, um, we do find out that Nathaniel Richards had other children up there. And you know, read to spend time with one of them. It's, it's actually a super nice issue. Um, where, you know, she basically sees the day in the life of the Fantastic Four. It's not, nothing all that bad. It's just, whew, it, uh, it could be a lot better. <laughs> Here's the way I put it. Well, 
Uh, so I think I'm actually done. I was expecting this to be way longer, but I did uh, rush through a lot of things. So that's about it for that. So uh, we are the Starving Writers Guild. We are writers helping other writers. Uh, we are MC Ashley, Barbara Page, and John Transylvania. You can find our works on our website at starvingwritersguild.com. You can also find our works on Amazon as well. They're under those names. Uh, you can look under my series since I'm the one in charge of this podcast and I can say whatever I want. <laughs> uh, you can look for the Azrael Chronicles. We have Lost Time and Deadlands there. Uh, we have the Broken Veil series with Broken Veil. And we have the Resurrection Life series with Resurrection Life. All excellent stories, if I do say so myself. But I may be a little biased in that regard. Now, moving on from there, uh, please uh, feel free to leave us a five-star review. Uh, if the podcast uh, user of your choice, that way we can get more people involved. We get a little more uh, moving around in the algorithm. So really do appreciate uh, all of that. And to those of you as well who continue to reach out to us on Twitter, and follow us there. Let us know that you followed because of the podcast and we'll follow you back because there's a lot of people out there who follow and do absolutely nothing and then don't react and act as moots or anything like that as I'm learning my Twitter lingo. <laughs> so please do let us know. We'd love to interact with you. We'd love to have a good time discussing things. So uh, next up will be, let's see, my uh, anime list, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. I believe I'll be doing number 80 through 71. So that's something to look forward to. So until next time, see ya.